Let's pray, and then I'm going to jump into to preaching through uh, God's Word. Father God, um, I do ask that you would, Lord, help with the task that is at hand right now uh, to proclaim your truth uh, to your people. And so, God, we ask for your help. Uh, we ask that you would give us, Lord, ears to hear uh, your word. We ask that our hearts, Lord, would, would be transformed by it. And uh, we ask, uh, God, that, yes, that you would work powerfully through the proclaiming of your word. Please help me not be a distraction. Please help technology not be a distraction. And uh, we ask that you would be glorified through this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, church, if you've got a Bible, uh, grab a Bible. I'm going to also put the verses up on the screen as well. But we are continuing preaching through uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so we are in Colossians 1, and we're going to cover verses 9 through 14 uh, this morning. Uh, but have, have you ever said to someone, hey, I'll, I'll pray for you, only to never actually pray for them? Um, or has someone ever said to you, like, hey, uh, I'll be praying for you, and you're kind of maybe a little skeptical if you're like me, like if that person is actually going to pray for you? Or uh, what's popular now that people will say is like, hey, our thoughts and prayers are with you. And I'm always, right, a little skeptical about that. Like, okay, well, just how much of your thoughts and prayers are actually uh, with me? Because I, I think if we're honest, all of us, uh, we are not good at consistently and intentionally praying for one another. And therefore, Colossians 1 verse 9 is going to be a wake-up call to us, okay? So let's just jump, let's jump right in. Colossians 1 verse 9, Paul writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. Now, now certainly Paul did not, uh, he's not saying that he prayed for them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We know he slept. We know he ate food. We know uh, he made tents. We know he planted churches and he wrote other letters to other churches. So he's not saying that. But what he is saying is that, hey, uh, they have been, Paul and Timothy, they've been consistently and intentionally praying for the Christians in the city of Colossae. And now the main bulk of our sermon is going to be looking at what they were praying for the church uh, there. Uh, that, that, that's coming because we're going to get to see, this is almost like Paul's prayer journal, a glimpse into his prayer journal. We get to see what he actually is praying for them. But before that, we first have to just take notice of the fact that Paul was interceding on behalf of the Colossians. He was intentionally and he was consistently praying on their behalf. And I think when some of us hear that, like that, that excites some of us, right? Some of us, uh, some of us hear about praying for others, and man, that just gives you life and energy, and you're just ready to go pray for others as well, right? Like, uh, I mean, there there are people that are are just they just have that spiritual gift of intercessory prayer. Uh, some of these these people, they're just like, man, give me a list of names, and I'm just going to start praying for these people, or or they they want to know a list of prayer requests, so they can just start praying for people. In crisis or they want an assignment to know, hey, how can I be praying? And some people, when they hear about praying for others, there's just this life that fills them. And yet then there are others of us, when we hear about praying for others, 
it just it just sounds exhausting, right? I mean, it's not like that that's going to take time, that's going to take energy, and I'll do it, but it's kind of draining to me. And and why is that? Why is there a group of people that are almost fueled and given life thinking about praying for others, and then there are others that are kind of drained and exhausted by it. And I think one of the reasons is that intercessory prayer really is a, a spiritual gift that some people have. Now, it's, it's typically not on any of the formal list of spiritual gifts, but I think there's plenty of passages in the Bible as well as just life experience that tell us, hey, there are some people who are extraordinarily gifted and just getting after it in prayer for others. There are. Like, we are all called to it, okay? So if you aren't gifted in that way, hey, it maybe needs to be a discipline for you. You maybe need to kind of be intentional about getting after it in prayer. Uh, but there are some who are just extraordinarily gifted in it. And here's why that matters. Here's why I even bring it up that this might be some of your kind of spiritual gift, intercessory prayer. The reason I bring it up is because if that is you, if you hear about Paul praying for these Christians intentionally and consistently, and that fills you with life, like you need to make that known. You need to let the pastors know. You need to let your city group leaders know because we need to position you and mobilize you to use your gift for the glory of God and the good of his people. We need to, to get prayer requests to you. We need to put you in a position where you really can uh, pray for one another uh, and pray for others well. The other reason is that why you need to make this known is because you need to help the rest of us in our prayer lives as well. This goes for any spiritual gift, right? Uh, whether it be evangelism or giving or mercy or any of those, there are some of us that are gifted and some of us that it needs to be a discipline. And those who are gifted in these ways need to help others kind of grow in these areas. And so uh, if praying for others is draining to you, maybe you need to pray with someone who this is really their gift and their calling. And maybe that can kind of help you catch a love and a fire for praying uh, for others as well. But regardless, um, regardless if you're gifted in this area or not, just like Paul was offering up intercessory prayer for the church in Colossae, so too we need to be offering up prayers for one another. And, and just think about this, okay? What a great season we are in for you to grow in your prayer life, right? I mean, if you are waiting for a better time, like if you're, I know many of you are still working, but if you are waiting for a better time to grow in your prayer life, like a time where, you know, more activities are going to be canceled or you have less places to go, like, I don't know what you're waiting for. Now is the time. All right. And so what a, what a great season we have to really be intentional and consistent in our prayer life and in our prayers for one another. But the main question we got to tackle today is what is he praying? Okay, what is, what is Paul praying for the Christians there in Colossae? So let's, let's look at the whole passage here, back to Colossians 1, and I'm going to read 9 through 14. And he writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit and every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, a, a lot there. I'm going to simplify for it, uh, simplify it, and then we'll take it one step at a time, all right? But what Paul is praying, essentially for the Colossians, if we're going to boil it down to one thing, he is praying that they would walk worthy, right? Look at verse 10 again, to walk in a manner worthy, all right? Paul is praying that the Colossians would walk worthy. Your follow-up question to that should be, well, what does it look like to walk worthy? Okay, what does it look like to walk worthy? And what we're going to see in this passage is that to walk worthy means to walk as one who is qualified. We're going to talk about that. To walk worthy is to pursue wisdom. To walk worthy is to be productive in good works. And to walk worthy is to walk with power. Okay, that's where we're going uh, this morning. All right, but first, to walk worthy is to walk as one who is qualified. Okay, uh, for me to, to work at my job at the hospital, right, I need certain qualifications. I need a certain degree. I need certain certifications. I need certain licenses. Uh, and so if you are not qualified to work in a hospital, right, there's a lot at the hospital that you should not and cannot do. Okay, so if you are uh, helping out and taking some meals to the COVID-19 unit at Johnson Memorial, if you are not qualified, you should not just like jump in and start helping out where, you know, if you see, you know, people are needing help with an intubation or something like, like you shouldn't just jump in, right? If you are not qualified, but if you are qualified, there's a lot that you should and can do. You see, church, there, man, there are a lot of Christians who are paralyzed in their walk with Jesus because they do not understand and they are not living in the reality that they have been qualified by faith in Christ. Okay, there, there are people who are not walking worthy with Jesus because they falsely think that they are not worthy to walk. And Paul's, Paul's going to clear this up for us, all right? Look back at, uh, at Colossians 1, verse 12. He writes, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. Church, we don't walk worthy because we are worthy. We walk worthy because the worthy one has qualified us, okay? And this is, this is past tense, right? This has happened already, okay? He's, Paul's not saying that God is qualifying us. He's not saying that one day he's going to qualify us. He says that by the Spirit, right, applying to you what Christ has accomplished for you, he has qualified you he has qualified you notice a couple other verse a couple other words in these verses inheritance and redemption 
all right? Inheritance and redemption. Both of those words should be reminding us of the people of God coming out of Egypt. So think back to the Old Testament. Think back to Exodus and Moses and Pharaoh, right? God God redeemed his people out of slavery. He bought them back. He rescued them from an evil and oppressive Pharaoh, and he brought them to an inheritance, right? Which an inheritance back in the Old Testament, it was typically thought of as the land, okay? Uh, The promised land. But essentially, God had an inheritance for his people, meaning a place. God had a place for his people. But the inheritance was much more than just a place, all right? And so I want to share with you also from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 through 9. Moses writes, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And so, church, God has qualified us, yes, for a place, for an inheritance, which now encompasses much more than just the promised land. We know with Christ we're going to reign over the new heavens and the new earth. But it's much more, the inheritance is much more than just a place. It's also a people, right? The Lord's portion is his people. The Lord's heritage is his people. And so God has qualified us, yes, to be part of his place, but mainly to be part of his people. And so as the Spirit applies to us what Christ has accomplished for us, we now have a place and a people. Look look at some of uh, these other words here. Let me go back here. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. This idea of darkness is language that is often used for those that are not following Jesus. Like Jesus is the light of the world, right? And so when we're before we started following Christ, we essentially were living in darkness. We were we were spiritually blind. It was like walking around in a dark room. We didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what was bumping into us. Uh, we didn't know what was true and what was false, right? And, and, and it says here that, that he had, God has delivered us from that domain. And the word domain means authority, right? Before Christ, we were living under the authority of evil. We were spiritually blind. But then Jesus came along, and we know that Jesus said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. It's been given to him. We have been delivered from that domain of darkness. The light of the world, right, has shown in our hearts and has shown us the truth and has shown us the way to God. Notice also uh, part of our qualifications here is that God has forgiven our sins. Right? God has forgiven the ways that we've turned from his desires. And this includes both past, present, and future sins. And so God has qualified us, right? He's qualified us to be a part of his people and his place, right? He has qualified us to, he's rescued us from darkness and in, put us into light. Jesus is now our king. He has redeemed us from the ways we were oppressed by sin and evil, and he has forgiven us our sins. And so all of this was God's work, not our own. He, is, he's, his, he was qualifying us. He was making us sufficient. And Paul goes on to then tell the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, he says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Okay? And so that's, 
I mean, we need to understand to walk as unworthy is to walk as one who is qualified, but not because we have qualified ourselves, not that we are sufficient in ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Okay, think about this. Like when you go uh, to buy a home, you typically have to fill out some paperwork and an application to get pre-approved or kind of to pre-qualify for a loan, right? And that can be a little anxiety producing, uh, especially if this is your first time, uh, because you might be unsure if you're going to qualify uh, for the home that you're wanting to get. And so it can produce some anxiety in you, right? You're unsure if you're going to qualify to have your own place, to have your own place to call home. You, you might be a little anxious because you're unsure if you're going to qualify in order to, to come out from under uh, maybe your landlord's uh, uh, kind of rule, so to speak. Uh, maybe you're a little anxious because you're unsure if your past debt and your past financial mistakes are going to hurt your credit enough to where now that's going to make you not qualify. But church, isn't it such good news when you hear that you have been qualified, that you have been approved? I mean, just how freeing and how empowering that is. And church, the same is true with us. Like, do you not know that by grace, through faith in Christ, God has qualified you? You stand approved. You are qualified to be a part of his people. You are qualified to be rescued from the domain of darkness into light. He has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. He has qualified you. And so Paul is praying for the Colossians that they would walk worthy, right? That they would walk worthy, that they would walk as ones who are qualified. But what else does it mean to walk worthy? All right, what does it look like to walk worthy? To walk worthy is also to pursue wisdom. All right, to pursue wisdom. Look back at Colossians 1 verse 9. And he writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, to walk worthy is to pursue wisdom. And I'm going to get a little help here from our triangle here, uh, our, our pursuit of wisdom triangle. Okay. Uh, so let's start at the bottom here. I'll try to like this. Okay. All right. Um, you, we live in a sea of, of data, right? There's tons of data out there, statistics, uh, different polls. Um, you know, uh, right now, a lot of like different statistical models are floating around there, numbers and Excel charts and all this stuff. There's a lot of data, but data really gets you nowhere unless you know how to analyze the data, right? You need someone to analyze the data and that's when you can kind of work your way up to having some information, all right? Information is also something that is just, we are just surrounded with tons of information, uh, sorry, tons of information and data, right? Uh, and information kind of helps describe the reality of, of life a little bit, right? And, uh, uh, and it wasn't always this way where we had so much information, but because of the internet, because of social media, we just have so much information out there. But what's lacking, and I think what a lot of us are longing for, is uh, knowledge and wisdom, right? I mean, we're surrounded by information, but to actually take information and get to knowledge, uh, really, we have to know what the information means, okay? And so that's, that's what knowledge is, right? What's the significance of the information? 
Okay, understanding the information kind of gets you to knowledge, but knowledge alone doesn't tell us what to do in our life or in our specific context or with a specific decision. That's where we need wisdom, right? We need to take knowledge. Wisdom takes knowledge and it knows how to apply the knowledge to our specific situation and in our specific context. And so to walk as one worthy is to walk in a way that is pursuing wisdom, that we are not content to just settle for data or information, that we're not even just content to just gain knowledge, but we're pursuing wisdom. We know how to take the knowledge and apply it to our specific situation. But the thing about wisdom, the thing that we don't like about wisdom, especially in our, our microwave society, is that it takes years to pursue wisdom, right? This is, a, this is an, an endurance race to get to wisdom. It's not a sprint, and it takes years, and it takes getting wise counsel from other people uh, who are wise. It takes the power of the, the Holy Spirit working in our life to help us develop wisdom. But we need to be pursuing wisdom. And the book of Proverbs, right, is all about wisdom. Every time I read the Proverbs, I'm always like, why don't I read the Proverbs more? All right, but Proverbs is all about wisdom. Proverbs 4, verses 5 and 6, it says, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. Listen, when we walked in darkness, when we walked in the domain of darkness, we were content to live in just foolishness, right? To just have information with no knowledge or wisdom. And in this pursuit of wisdom, Paul is praying that the Colossians, right, would first be filled with the knowledge of God's will right? The, the, the knowledge of God's will is, is, is still very important in our pursuit of wisdom, to know God, to, to, to know his will. And what a good and gracious God that we have, that he has revealed to us his will. Now, there are certain things about the Lord that, that are hidden and are mysterious to us, and that's what some theologians call his sovereign will. But he does, he, he does have a revealed will, ways that he has revealed himself to us. And the people of God in the Old Testament, they, they knew, and, and Paul, who's writing this, grew up right Jewish, right? Uh, he knew that the knowledge of God's will could be found in the law, all right? So when we, we think of the law, right, you think the Ten Commandments, you think all these commands and rules, uh, but really what was happening in God's law is that his law was reflecting and revealing his nature and his character to his people. Right? The law is a reflection of who God is. A God who commands his people to have no other gods before him is revealing that he is the supreme being in the universe, right? A God who commands his people to not commit adultery is revealing himself to be like a faithful husband to his bride. A God who commands his people to not lie is revealing to his people that, that he speaks truth and that he can be trusted. And so Paul is writing this to the Colossians, right, as one who knows that God has revealed his will, one way he's revealed his will is through, his law, through the law, but Paul also knows that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. 
And therefore, now, God's will is now revealed in the incarnate and inspired word of God. And let me explain that, all right? The incarnate, meaning in the flesh, which is Jesus, all right? The word who became flesh, Jesus. And the inspired word, right? The, the scriptures, right? Your, your Bible. And so a knowledge of God's will can now be obtained by looking to where God has revealed this. And he has revealed it to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ and through, our, and through the Bible, through his word. Therefore, for us to grow in a knowledge of his will, to pursue spiritual wisdom and understanding is to grow in knowing Christ and it's to grow in understanding and knowing his word. And that is a lifelong process of of pursuing knowledge, but knowledge that is also going to then produce wisdom in us. And so Paul is praying that the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding um, will will again, it will develop into wisdom and then it will develop into uh, good works. Okay. Good works. Look back at Colossians uh, one verse. uh, Let me see here. Colossians one verse 10. So he writes, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, to know that you have been uh, qualified by God and to be growing in your knowledge and wisdom of God and his will, this should produce in you a life. This should produce in you a heart uh, that is productive in good works. Because we know that we are not saved by our good works, but we most certainly are saved for good works. Okay, and so what does it look like to, to... to walk worthy. Uh, the third way is to be productive in good works. We shouldn't be ones that just, uh, and I'll pull this up again, we shouldn't be ones that just kind of are content to stay in this knowledge where we just sit around scratching our, our, our beards or our lack of beards and reading theology books and considering the deep things of God. Like, yes, we should do that, but we should not be content to just stay there. That needs to progress to wisdom and that needs to produce uh, a life that is productive in good works okay we're not saved by good works but we are saved for good works and paul when he writes to the church in ephesus he he says the ephesians through 10 he says for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works works so that no one may boast we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. God has prepared good works for us. And even think about it right now, like right now, church, God, when we planted the church two years ago, he knew, right? He, he knew that, that we were planting and two years after our plant, we were going to be in this pandemic, in this quarantine, and he has prepared good works for us to be a part of. But when we lived in darkness, 
right? When we lived under the authority of evil, under the authority of darkness, uh, we were mainly only concerned about ourselves, right? When you're in a room that is completely dark, you go into self-preservation mode, right? You are just looking to protect yourself and preserve yourself. And if you look around, this is what is happening, right? This is why there is no toilet paper on the shelves. Uh, it's not because uh, any, any data has changed in regards to people's need of toilet paper. It's just because, hey, we've gone into self-preservation mode, right? And we've tried, and this is what we do when we're living in darkness. We try to qualify ourselves with God. We try to obtain an inheritance for ourselves. We try to rescue ourselves. We try to redeem ourselves. We try to forgive ourselves. We try to grow in knowledge for ourselves. But God has, by grace through faith, saved us from that darkness and has put us into the light. And therefore, we see the beautiful truth that he has already qualified us. And he fills us with the knowledge of his will through the person and work of Jesus Christ. When we heard that gospel proclaimed to us, and he fills us with the knowledge of his will through his written word as we read it and we pray it and we hear it. And this is producing a wisdom that then is translating into a life that is productive in good works. Walk worthy, church. Walk worthy. But when we talk about walking worthy, uh, that sounds really difficult, right? I mean, I'm kind of exhausted just thinking about it. Uh, it sounds, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm ready for a nap, uh, thinking about walking worthy. But hold on, Paul is about to really rock our worlds here, okay? So look at verse 11, Colossians 1, verse 11. He writes, being strengthened with all power, According to your glorious might? No, not according to your glorious might. According to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. You see, to walk worthy is to walk with power, but not your own power. God's power. But he doesn't say that walking a worthy is going to be an easy walk, right? He says, hey, there's going to be difficulties here, uh, okay? But, but we are not walk, supposed to walk by our own power, but by God's power. And what is he praying that God's power would produce in them? He's asking for endurance and patience, okay? So let's understand these two words, all right? Endurance is the character trait needed for difficult circumstances. Patience is the character trait you need for difficult people. In church, in life, you are going to experience both, <laughs> right? I mean, if, if I was in a room with you guys, I think I would have gotten some amens there, right? In life, you are going to experience difficult circumstances. You are going to experience difficult people. And so Paul is praying that the believers would be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would have endurance and they would have patience. Patience. 
but it's ultimately not by our own power, but by God's power. And right now, uh, different people are struggling with, with different ones of these, some more than others, okay? So right now, some of you are struggling with difficult circumstances, right? Uh, all the circumstances that are going on, right? Maybe you're lonely, maybe you're feeling isolated, maybe you're discouraged and despairing, maybe you're depressed or anxious, maybe you're fearful, maybe you're physically sick, maybe your family is physically sick, maybe you are financially in trouble. There's a lot of difficult circumstances going on right now, and some of you are mainly struggling with difficult circumstances, and we need to pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would have endurance. But then some other, others of you, it's not so much the difficult circumstances. Some of you need patience for the difficult people. I mean, some of you right now are annoyed that people are so fearful. Some of you can't understand why this is such a big deal to some people. And right now, we need to pray for your patience, that the Spirit would empower you with patience. To walk worthy is not to walk without difficulty, but instead it's to walk by the Spirit's power for endurance and patience. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up here, okay? But my question for you is, are you walking worthy? Are you walking as one who is qualified? And what I mean, right? Are you living in the reality that you've been rescued from the domain of darkness? Are you living in the reality that you've been grafted into an inheritance? You have a place and a people you belong to. Are you living in the reality that you've been redeemed from sin's power and you've been forgiven from sin's penalty? And, and if you're not, maybe some of you never have put your faith in Christ. And if, and if that is the case, please talk to me. Reach out to, to one of us. Let us talk th it through with you to really d discern and decide if you really have a saving faith in Christ. But for those of you who have put your faith in Christ, like, are you living in the reality of these things that, that what the spirit has applied to you, right? From what Christ has accomplished for you, do you not realize that you are one who is qualified? Are you walking worthy? Are you pursuing wisdom? Are you no longer content to live in foolishness? Are you no longer content with just information or even knowledge, but you are, you are just with your whole heart pursuing wisdom? Are you growing in a knowledge of his will through understanding the person and work of Jesus Christ and through understanding the scriptures? Are you walking worthy? Are you productive in good works while you know that you haven't been saved by good works? You know you've been, that God has prepared some good works for you. And so are you being productive in that? Are you pursuing the good works that God has pre prepared for you? And are you walking with power? Not by your own power, but by the Spirit's power, resting in His power for endurance and patience so that you might be able to handle difficult circumstances and you might be able to handle difficult people. Are you walking worthy, church? But then, then hear this, okay? Remember the context here. This is Paul praying this for the Christians in Colossae, all right? So another big question here is, are we praying this for one another? Are, are we praying 
I don't know where to put my hands. Are we praying these things, right, for one another? I, I think if we are good at prayer at all, it's usually we are good at reactionary prayer, meaning when there is a crisis that comes up, we'll pray for it. When there's a problem, we'll pray for it. But, but how about a little bit of preventative medicine in prayer, right? Like, why can't we be praying for one another before the crisis hits, before the problem happens, before the marriage is broken, before the depression sinks in? Like, why can't we be praying for some of these things right now? Why can't we think of our brothers and sisters and think of one another and pray that they would walk worthy, that they would live in the reality that Jesus Christ has qualified them? That why don't we pray for one another that they that we would be pursuing wisdom? Why don't we pray for one another that we would be productive in good works? And why don't we pray for one another that we would walk with power, with endurance and patience, handling these difficult circumstances and the difficult people that we we will encounter and church just think like what would it be like if we did pray this for one another what could our church what could our family what could our community look like if we did pray this for one another so are you walking worthy are you praying this for others that one another would walk worthy and so walk worthy, church. Pray for one another that we would walk worthy. And may we do so all for the glory of the one who is worthy. Walk worthy, for he is worthy. Let's pray.